0: And now, for your featured presentation.
1: Just one, or two, or three, or four, but five, Force 5.
0: Welcome listeners, I'm Jason Kleberg and this is the Force 5 Podcast, a show that has a guest come on each week who's forced to come up with a movie-themed Top 5 list And then we talk about our picks on air. Today, my guest is a musician and the host of the Piecing It Together podcast, David Rosen. The list topic he chose to torture us with today is top five video game movies. I'm kidding. I actually had a lot of fun with this despite the slim pickings laid out on the table in front of us. Before we get to those lists, let's get into what I've been watching. Now, for the last week or so, there's been a lot of hype about Zack Snyder's version of Justice League coming out, and this thing's clocking in at like four hours long. It's a four by three aspect ratio, and I got to admit, my my curiosity got the best of me. Now, I couldn't just watch Justice League without watching what came before it, and that means I had to jump into a movie that I had never seen before and had kind of actively avoided batman v superman dawn of justice cruel this bat vigilante is like a one-man right of terror you don't get to decide what the right thing is nobody cares about clark kent taking on the batman
1: this means something
0: it's all some people have it's all that gives them hope People hate what they don't understand.
1: Be their hero, Clark. Be their angel. Be their monument. Be anything they need you to be. Or be none of it. You don't owe this world a thing. You never did.
0: The events at the end of Man of Steel have left Superman's reputation on Earth in ruins. Unfortunately, it's also left Gotham City in ruins, something one Bruce Wayne simply cannot forgive. Oh, and Lex Luthor Jr. has decided to destroy mankind by creating a creature named Doomsday. I saw Man of Steel shortly after it was released on disc, and I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I thought that Suicide Squad was one of the worst movies that I saw in 2016, so I did not feel like there was any reason to keep going with the DCU. But with the Snyder Cut going, I I had to check this thing out. Now I was not expecting to have a lot of good things to say about Batman v Superman based on critical thrashings it received, but I did like a lot of the elements here. The cast was great, Jeremy Irons, Lawrence Fishburne, and Holly Hunter were all top notch, but two of the biggest surprises for me were Ben Affleck as Batman and Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor Jr. I thought Ben Affleck was a great Batman. He's a bigger, older, jaded son of a bitch who just kind of lumbers instead of glides as he beats the shit out of people. The warehouse fight scene was especially brutal and it's just that kind of fight scene that I want to see Batman tear through. It was reminiscent of those Arkham video games. I know Eisenberg got a lot of flack for his portrayal as Lex Luthor. It almost seemed kind of Joker-esque, but I thought his quirky, maniacal turn was interesting and brought a much-needed energy to the film when he was on screen. Some of the action scenes were really cool, like seeing the end of Man of Steel from the perspective of normal human beings. The film also raises some interesting questions about how our world might deal with a powerful alien being coming into town to save the day. Unfortunately, the film doesn't really explore those ideas in a meaningful way, even though it tries to reckon with it in the beginning. Unfortunately, the script is bad. So much of it makes no sense, and it's so convoluted. I still have zero idea what Lex Luthor was doing, or how Doomsday fit into any of this. The first hour of the film feels like loosely connected vignettes instead of a coherent plot, and I almost gave up on the film about 30 minutes in because of it. The film also has a big problem with how it chooses to portray Superman. I'm cool with tweaks to characters, but the appeal of Superman, as far as I know, is that he's always been this beacon of hope. The good in humanity. In this film he's a brooding, whiny madman. The other problem with how Superman is treated comes down to selective use of his powers. Superman consistently races the Flash and sometimes wins in the books, that's how fast he is. Yet when it's convenient, he runs at Batman with the speed of a normal dude because the plot needs it to happen in order for him to take a kryptonite bullet to the face. In fact, most of the things in Batman v Superman just kind of happen because the plot needs it to happen in order to get from point A to point B. People in this film just don't act like human beings. There's a scene in which Lois Lane needs to get to Wayne Manor and the exchange is something along the lines of Hey boss, I need to use the helicopter. You don't need the helicopter for a story. It's not for a story. Get her a helicopter now! Like what boss would do that? No one talks like a normal human being in this film. In fact, If a few people had actual conversations, the whole plot would have been unraveled in, like, five minutes. Then again, no one at the Daily Planet seems very smart anyway, since they can't recognize that Clark Kent is fucking Superman, because he's wearing the ultimate disguise, that is, a pair of eyeglasses. I should also mention that I'm just not a fan of Zack Snyder's visual style. While there are some cool shots in the film, I do think he's great at cinematography. Everything just feels so manufactured by CGI. Not one time did I feel like I was being brought along into a convincing world that was lived in. The fight scene with Doomsday was especially irksome as the constant CGI hits held absolutely no weight. I never felt like anyone was in actual danger. My last complaint about Batman v Superman is the appearance of Wonder Woman. She has nothing to do here aside from dropping little hints on this little computer flash drive of the other Justice League members that should have probably been held for, like, the post-credits scene. And then she just pops in at the end to help wrangle Doomsday. I've heard a lot of complaints about Batman killing people in this film, which admittedly raised an eyebrow from me at first as well. But clearly this isn't meant to be the Bale Batman. This is the Frank Miller Batman who has no issues with killing bad people. I think this could have been better established, however. First, cut out the goddamn origin story from the first shots of the film. We get it. We know how Batman became Batman. We're smart enough. Second, make Affleck look older. He just looks the same age as Bale. Closing on this review, Batman vs. Superman is a messy film, but not one without its merits. I think that the parts are way greater than its sum, and at three hours long, I doubt I'll ever watch it again. Affleck made a great Batman. Eisenberg was interesting as a cross between Mark from the Social Network and the Joker, and I would be up for seeing more of him in the future and more of uh, Affleck as Batman in the future, but... I tell you what, watching four hours of this in Justice League and in the Snyder Cut, I just don't feel motivated to do that. The other thing I saw this week is way more fun than Batman v Superman. It's 1985's Massacre in Dinosaur Valley. And I'm not even going to play the trailer because it's literally just music and uh, scenes of people getting killed. So just a little bit about it. A small plane carrying some fossil hunters and a pair of fashion models crashes somewhere in the Amazon jungle. To make it out, the gang is going to have to battle cannibalistic tribes, slave traders, and each other. This movie is super campy and has everything you'd expect from an Italian exploitation film. Goofy dubbing, a copious amount of nudity, decent gore effects, and endearing low-budget production value. The main character is super charismatic. He's a perfect example of having tons of brawn and absolutely zero brains. He's the kind of guy that's funny in a movie, but you'd quickly delete his number from your phone if you knew him in real life. In fact, he almost gets nearly everyone killed in this film on multiple occasions, not the least of which features him allowing his love interest to be shot at by eight men while he waits for an apology. Then again, had she been ventilated with bullet holes, he doesn't seem like a guy that would care that much. The female actresses are decent and spend about a third of the runtime topless. Most of the supporting characters, well, Really, all of the characters are underdeveloped and don't add much to the story, but at least they're oft in interesting ways. Unfortunately, there's not one dinosaur in a movie called Massacre in Dinosaur Valley. It's hard to root for a main character as dumb as Kevin Hall, or as he introduces himself, Hall. Kevin. Kevin Hall. For instance, after the gang just got through a pond that's infested with flesh-eating piranhas that totally ate one guy's leg, Kevin decides to fight an army captain in the very same pond, and of course this time no piranhas touch them. He also has the jump on the main bad guy at the end of the film and could have easily killed him at any time, but he waits until his love interest is raped, and then gives his terrible position away, and finally lets the bad guy shoot at him a few times before he makes a move. Oh, and I mentioned rape. Don't go near Sao Paulo, Brazil, because this movie makes it seem like every man there is either a rapist or a pervert. The way every man acts in this film is troubling and sickening, including the main character. Oh, and on the Severin disc, we gotta talk about this cover art. Kevin is holding a machine gun on the cover art. There is no machine gun in this movie. In fact, there's no automatic weapons of any kind. Kevin totes a shotgun, and China has a revolver, but, I mean, let's make sure that whoever designs the cover has actually seen the film. The slipcover looks awesome, even if it still has nothing to do with the film, featuring diamonds and some horned statue or creature thing. While endearing, the production value is hilarious. The first example of this, we see a plane that's gonna crash, and it's clearly a miniature. And we follow this mini as it crashes into a puddle that's definitely in somebody's driveway and then into the bushes in somebody's front yard. It's so fucking funny. We also see a body falling down a waterfall that's clearly a dummy and so many recycled shots, all staples of low-budget Italian productions. My mind still isn't made up on the worst way somebody eats it in Massacre it in Dinosaur Valley, but I'd probably have to choose drowning via quicksand. This movie scratches the exploitation itch quite nicely. It's action-packed, and even though the fighting doesn't really happen until an hour into the film, there's still enough to keep you entertained until everything stuffed in the back half is presented. It features beautiful women, meaty gore, and dubbing that will probably give you a few laughs. Alright, enough with this stuff. Let's get to the video games. Let's get to David Rosen. But first, a word from our sponsor. You probably already know from your own experiences that watching video game movies is way less fun than playing actual video games. After listening to this show, you might be thinking to yourself, where can I play video games? The answer is simple. If you live in or around Aurora, Illinois, Noah's Arcade. Run by Noah Vanderhoff, nice name, not. You'll find all of the hottest titles with enough machines to go around. Grab some quarters and check out Desert Storm Commando Warrior, or Xantar, the brand new adventure game in which you play as a gelatinous cube that takes over villages. Come bust a move where the games are played, it's chill, it's fresh, it's Noah's Arcade. I will not bow to any sponsor. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Joining me tonight, 542 miles to my right in Las Vegas, we've got David Rosen. He's the host of the Piecing It Together podcast, a show that takes a film and then deep dives into those films that came before that may have inspired it. He also happens to be an award-winning composer, which makes me extremely jealous because I have absolutely no musical talent. How's it going, David?
1: I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how much talent I have, but I do make uh, some pretty cool music.
0: I agree. And you can find all of those on whatever streaming platform you uh, subscribe to. So go check that out as well. Aside from those two things, uh, what else do you want my audience to know
1: about you before we jump into some movies? Geez, Piecing It Together, My Music, uh, Awesome Movie Years, another podcast I produce about uh, movies, and uh, Wax Tracks Records. Check it out here in Las Vegas. It's a record store that I uh, run with my family.
0: Oh, awesome. Wax Track Records. uh, I'll check that out next time I'm in town. Definitely. Just to get a a general sense of your taste, what are some of your favorite movies of all time?
1: Favorite movies of all time. Uh, Adaptation is my number one. Uh, Charlie Kaufman, uh, Spike Jones, Nicolas Cage, of course, um, also Evil Dead 2, also uh, Wet Hot American Summer, also Jurassic Park, a classic. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, a wide range of stuff.
0: Very cool. I've got all four of those in my collection. I endorse. Nice. Uh, now, we're going to be doing a topic today that I was kind of dreading was going to come up at some point it uh it was one of those topics that seemed like a good idea at the time, and that's gonna to be top five video game movies or top five movies based on video games. What are some of your favorite video games of all time?
1: Well, I'll just say to the topic uh when I sat down to start making my notes, I just like looked at the the words top five video game movies and I thought to myself, What have I done like <laughs> this is such a bad idea uh but yeah favorite video games i'm i'm a nintendo guy and i'm also a raised on nintendo entertainment system and super nintendo so i definitely go back to there uh, my favorites are you know legend of zelda link to the past on super nintendo uh super mario world on super nintendo super metroid on super nintendo all of those and then i'm a big puzzle game guy obviously that's probably why my Movie podcast turned into a whole puzzle theme, um, but I love Tetris, I love Bejeweled, I love you know all those kind of puzzle games.
0: Very cool. Are there any games that you love that you wish would be made into a video game?
1: Good, good question. Um, I I think Limbo would make a great Ooh. movie. I don't know if you've seen that game before. That's a like a weird have. atmospheric side scroller. Yeah, that that and its sequel Inside are just. Two of the coolest, most like atmospheric video games I've ever played, and I think they would probably turn out pretty cool with the right filmmaker.
0: Awesome choice. Uh, My my initial, so I was thinking about the question myself, and my initial go to was in your Nintendo world, man, Legend of Zelda. Yeah, in the right hands, that could be awesome.
1: That is a series that needs a, a movie adaptation or a TV series or whatever, but it's also one that, like a lot of the movies we're going to talk about on the list, there's a very good chance it's not going to turn out well. Uh, <laughs> there's there is just too much there. There's too much plot, too much story, too many characters, and uh, I could see it going south really fast, but I, I would love to see it, though.
0: Hundred percent. And then uh, the other two that came to mind were Golden Axe from my Sega Genesis playing days, Ooh, which you know they made a bunch of sword and sorcery movies in those early nineties. Why not Golden Axe? Yeah. Like, come on, Sega. And I, then I'm uh, down for that. another Sega property, Spec Ops, the line from that I I played on Xbox 360 would be great as a film, but uh, still hasn't touched the lens, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, uh maybe, you, you never
1: know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, like you alluded to, this list was not easy to make, not at all. No. Mm-mm. Uh is is there a reason why you chose a list this tough?
1: Oh, I, I wish I had a, a, a smart reason, but at the time when when we kind of got in touch, I was still kind of laughing about one of the movies on my list and, and kind of like loving it. And yeah, there's not a lot of movies on this list to love, but uh, that alone kind of influenced my decision to say, hey, what about top five video game movies? And <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that's not the best way to decide on a list to do, but we'll have fun anyway, I'm sure.
0: Oh, yeah. I've kind of split my list up into three different types of movies. So I have one that I think is a legitimately pretty good film. I have two that I would definitely watch again, even though I can say that they're not good movies. I would still watch them again. And then I have two that are just so bad that I would watch it under the right circumstances just to show somebody like how how did this actually happen on screen?
1: yeah that's kind of like my list i've got two that i genuinely love uh two that are so bad they're good and then the fifth one is just kind of like "Eh, that one's pretty good uh that'll round out the list nicely
0: well without further ado let's get to the list you know what's gonna Top five movies based on video games. I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first?
1: Uh, I could go first. And and one other thing I should uh, mention, like just to be clear to the listeners, it is based on video games, not video game related movies or anything like that has to be an actual adaptation for this list. And uh, kicking off my number five, the, the one that I said, eh, it's pretty good, so it might as well round out this list since there's really nothing under this that I would really have even considered to include. And that is uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu from 2019, directed by Rob Letterman, and starring Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu in the real world. Welcome to Rhyme City, a celebration of the harmony between humans
0: and Pokemon. Him, your dad was a legend in this precinct. If you
1: were anything like your dad... I'm not. I remember. You wanted to be a Pokemon trainer when you were young.
0: Yeah, that didn't really work out. Someone there? Whoever you are... I know how to use this. Oh, geez. Here we go. I know. You
1: can't understand me. But put down the stapler or I will electrocute you. It is basically like a kid version of Deadpool. It's just Ryan Reynolds making constant jokes and pop culture references <laughs> from beginning to end. Except for instead of being Deadpool, he's Pikachu. Pikachu and uh there's some fun performances throughout the cast ken watanabe and bill nye are fun in it and uh there's there's a a lot of silly you know comedy that comes from mixing these ridiculous characters into the real world um and supposedly it's getting a sequel eventually so i guess it was you know fairly successful uh so yeah that's that's my number five
0: uh do you have like a, a connection to the pokemon
1: games Surprisingly, no. As much of a Nintendo guy as I was, uh, I I was born in 1980. Um, I think when the first Pokemon games came out, I was maybe, I don't know, 16 or something like that. And like I was just starting to not care so much. And then I eventually (laughs) got way back into video games again. But I, I just missed that initial Pokemon craze. And so by the time I got back into games, it was just it's just too much for me to try to dive in.
0: The Pokemon franchise is, is one that also passed me by in, in in a similar situation. I think we're around the same age. I just mm-hmm. it was too young for me when it first came out and then with its resurgence I just had no interest in it. So I've never seen an episode of Pokemon. I've never played one of the games, but I have been a little bit interested in the film just because of Ryan Reynolds' involvement.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's so much fun, and and he gets to just do that shtick through the whole thing, except for he's this cartoon character.
0: (laughs) Well, cool. That's a good choice for your number five. Uh, I I kept my list to the exact same standard, so it has to be based on a video game, so that takes things like Pixels out, that takes movies like Wreck-It Ralph out, uh, Mm -hmm. and then probably my favorite video game-related movie, although there aren't many good ones, which is gamer uh, that one that one couldn't make the sure. list yeah. so my number five will go to one that uh, might actually like this is one of the ones that I think might actually be on your list this is Street Fighter from 1994. Going to kick Bison's ass. I don't think so. You'll have to do better than that. Okay.
1: Yes! No, who wants to go home and who wants to go with me? Yeah! It okay, makes my honorable mentions.
0: Okay, cool, cool. Well, then we might not have any crossover for this list. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Street Fighter was, I mean, I was growing up in the early 90s. Street Fighter was everywhere. Well, specifically Street Fighter 2 was everywhere. Sure. And this is the age of arcades. So you'd go to the arcade when your friend had a pizza party at Chuck E. Cheese or whatever, and you'd go and just pump quarters into these things. And Street Fighter was always that arcade machine with a huge crowd around it. I'm sure you had the similar experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You walk up, the the game looked completely different from other games because there were six buttons. And yeah. you could have a hilarious cast of characters. They were all kinds of, like there was beasts and there were generals and there were karate guys. And I, I just loved it. So much. Eventually, my dad bought us a Sega Genesis. And whereas you're the Nintendo guy, I was more the Sega guy. Sure. And my brother and I just beat the hell out of each other on Street Fighter all day long. So, of course, 1994, you have this huge boom in video games, and they want to make some movies about these video games. And uh, this was one of the first video game films, helmed by Steven D'Souza, the writer of Die Hard. Yeah. And that, which is kind of crazy to me, he said he wanted to make a cross between Star Wars, James Bond, and a war film. And it tries its hardest to somehow shoehorn all of the game characters in, in one way or another. Uh, this movie is not good, but it is entertaining because of two reasons. One, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm-hmm. And two, I got to give a shout out to Raul Julia for his performance. Oh, yeah. As General M. Bison, the basic plot is that you have this all-American guile played by a man who is definitely not American, but like he's <laughs> supposed to be this all-American dude in the in the games, yeah. And he leads this like army called the Allied Nations into this South Asian nation called Shadaloo to take down General M. Bison. How long has it been since you've seen the movie Street Fighter?
1: It's been a long time. I was considering rewatching it for this, uh, this conversation here. Uh, it's been a long time. I do remember Raul Julia being the absolute standout, though, of this movie.
0: He was great. And the story behind it is really great, too. This, of course, is his last movie before he passed away. Uh, and the only reason he was in it was because his kids were huge Street Fighter fans, just like all the kids in that era. And he did it for them. The movie is also dedicated to him in the credits. He is fantastic. He's just chewing up the scenery. He looks like he's having a great time. Van Damme is also having a great time in this film. I, I mean, he doesn't really get to show off his martial arts talent because the way that the fight scenes and the choreography is shot, it's just absolutely dreadful. And it, oh, yeah. if you want proof of this, go on YouTube and watch just the final fight between M. Bison and Guile. It's, it, it looks embarrassing. But it's really, it's still really fun. There's a fight between the characters Zangief and E Honda that is shot in a in an area where there's like a small cardboard town underneath them, and it is not just trying to look like Godzilla. It has Godzilla sounds in the background for no reason. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the Street Fighter characters who they tried to shoehorn in are also ridiculous, like. You have this boxer named Balrog who is literally inside of this compound where they're having a war and he has boxing gloves on and he's just punching people with boxing gloves. It's absolutely bonkers. I have fond memories of going to see Street Fighter because we just begged my dad until he took us to go watch it. I'm sure it was like the worst time at the movies for him. (laughs) But uh, yeah, Street Fighter from 1994 has to be on my list and that's my number five.
1: I do need to rewatch it one of these days. Uh, I, I think I would definitely get a kick out of it watching it nowadays because all those characters are so classic. And to even attempt to put them in a movie is just uh, it's such an uphill battle um, <laughs> trying to make them fit into a, an actual real world. Uh, what, one other thing, though, that I, I, I want to mention, though, with Street Fighter. Do you remember that after the movie came out, they then re-upped and made Street Fighter the movie the game? Where they oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The and actors. It, yeah. Yeah, and it
0: looked like a, more of a Mortal Kombat style.
1: It did, yeah, which was such a strange choice. And, yeah, I don't think history has been too kind to that game. But um, <laughs> speaking of Mortal <laughs> Kombat, though, my number four is Mortal Kombat from 1995. <laughs> Each of us, there burns the fury of a warrior. In every generation, a few are chosen to prove it. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. Three strangers will travel to the mystical realm of Outworld to defend our people against Shang song You! We'll die. and his forces of darkness in an ancient tournament one more victory your soul is mine and our world
0: no! is theirs
1: it has begun <laughs> From Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, who, of course, went on to make the Resident Evil franchise, as well as that Monster Hunter movie that came out earlier this year or the end of last year. Hard to tell with the pandemic and everything. But um, this movie we're already getting into uh, so bad it's good territory uh with these last couple but uh yeah. th- this movie is pretty damn terrible uh it, there's there's a lot of fun to be had though especially christopher lambert just hamming it up as raiden and uh carrie harry tagawa as shang Tsung, uh who is just absolutely the best part of the movie he's so over the top every line out of his mouth is just so overdone and so fun to watch uh he's he's makes the whole thing worth like rewatching every once in a while. Um, the the one actually truly good element of the movie is Goro. They, they made him out of like, you know, classic, like real effects, not like CGI or anything. And, and that is awesome. I mean, he looks great and he's just a great character. Um, the fight choreography, you know, for a fighting game, not great. Uh, but the, you know, I don't know. Some of it's okay, I guess. And the real, big problem aside from it just being, you know, really cheesy in every chance it gets is that they really didn't go anywhere with blood or fatalities, which is what makes Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat. Uh, so that's kind of a big problem with the movie, but, uh, you still get that Mortal Kombat techno theme. <laughs> so oh, that, it's one of the may, most recognizable
0: yeah, movie themes of all time.
1: That puts it on a top five video game movies list alone. Um and you know kind of like with Street Fighter, it's just another one of these these movies. It's just such an uphill battle to try to actually turn it into something cinematic because the characters are so just just so ridiculous, and so you kind of got to give it points for trying. And uh, <laughs> I, I'll also just mention that we're a few weeks away from a new reboot of uh, Mortal Kombat that looks absolutely incredible from James Wan is producing it and uh the the trailer just has me so excited if it's not the best video game movie of all time I will be severely disappointed
0: yeah that was going to be my next question to see if you were excited for that I'm really excited for that I've seen like the uh the short films that were based on Mortal Kombat that were really really great but uh, yeah
1: those were really cool yeah
0: yeah really looking forward to this one uh it would have been on my honorable mentions as well I had the same problems you did. Like as a kid, you play Mortal Kombat because there are these awesome fatalities. That's what you play the game for. And before the advent of the internet, you had to find out what these things were yourself. Yeah. Or they were like spread through word of mouth because there were very specific button combinations to finish the characters off. And they were always super inventive. But uh, yeah, they had to market the the movie towards the PG-13 audience,
1: which just took all that gore and, and cool fatalities away. I haven't seen the sequel since uh, since it first came out, but I hear it's even worse, and I believe it.
0: <laughs> oh God, I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen the sequel at all.
1: <laughs> it's supposed to be really bad.
0: Well, consider me excited for the new one. Hopefully, we can. Uh, yeah, hopefully, it's the best video game movie of all time.
1: I, I think so. I think it's going to be. I, I will be d- disappointed if it's anything less than that.
0: Well, let's get into w- another one that is not the best video game movie of all time. <laughs> And it's from the same era. It's from 1994. And this one is called Double Dragon. 2007. Los Angeles. The city has changed. Cops rule the day. Punks rule the night. And one man wants to rule them all. There's only one thing he needs to succeed.
1: This is only half of it. Find me the other half now. And look who's got it.
0: There are a ton of Double Dragon games, but when I was growing up, the ones that I played went up to like Double Dragon 3. And it was just about these two characters, Jimmy and Billy, who have their girlfriends stolen and then they go and beat people up to try and get her back. Essentially, that's the... That's the storyline. And you can walk around and pick weapons up and beat people up with boxes and barrels and all kinds of fun stuff. It was great in the arcades. The home releases were pretty terrible for the most part, but really looked forward to playing this thing in arcades. The cool thing about the game was that it was very down to earth. Uh, as stupid as it was, it was still based in a reality where like you know, fought human beings. <laughs> And then we get Double Dragon from 1994 that has absolutely nothing to do with the game at all. Actually, I I watched an interview with the writers and they said we had never even heard of Double Dragon. (laughs) So they wrote this script. They didn't think uh, about like checking out the game at all. They just did whatever they wanted to. Just like with Street Fighter, they wanted to do a cross between Star Wars, Indiana Jones and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. And it does not go well, but yeah. it's fun to watch because it is so bad. And you know that from the very first frame. I actually tried. Re- I re- I rewatched about half of it this week because it's on Amazon Prime. Oh. And it starts with a, a you know a blurb at the bottom of the screen that just says somewhere in China, <laughs> like they couldn't pick an actual place. In Ch- it's just somewhere in China. Somewhere in China.
1: That's amazing.
0: It takes place in 2007, in which there's kind of like this post-apocalyptic future because an earthquake happened, and now San Diego and L.A. are one big city. And for some reason, this causes like an entire meltdown of civilization. Uh, So you've got these brothers, Jimmy and Billy. Or in one of the games, as it's said, there's a typo in one of the games where they're Jimmy and Bimmy. So I'm just going to (laughs) call him Bimmy. Uh, Jimmy's played by Mark DeCascos, who's actually a really great martial artist, and then Bimmy is played by Scott Wolf, who you can tell is not a martial artist, but they Shoe had to get horn. that uh, they had to shoehorn that white guy in there, like the yeah. good-looking white dude. They are brothers. They look nothing alike, so they make them orphans and that were like that grew up with the same master. And their whole deal is they have this, they have half of a mysterious amulet, and they have to protect it because. There's this bad guy. He's an evil businessman. His name's Koga Shuku. Sounds like an Asian name. Supposed to be an Asian name played by Robert Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Who's just coming off of playing the villain in st- in um Terminator
1: 2. So, wow, that, imagine <laughs> you you star in Terminator 2 and then Double Dragons your follow-up like
0: Oh, it's geez. it's bizarre. Like, his look is, he has, like, bleached hair on top, but he has, his uh, he has like, black hair on the sides. Uh, and then we have, you know, one of the main bad guys in Double Dragon is this big dude named Bo Abobo. Yeah. Poor guy grows up with the name Bo Abobo. Of course, he's going to grow up to be a villain. But Bo Abobo in the games, he's just a big dude. And in this, they turn him into, like, this mutant thing. It almost reminds me of the uh, nemesis creature from, like, Resident Evil 3, the video mm. game. So weird, and then you have these almost like warriors style gangs throughout the film that run the city, and just like the warriors, they have all these like different, all these different themes. So you have a gang of mailmen, <laughs> you have a gang of mimes, you even have a gang of grown up people
1: dressed as school children I might I might rewatch this tonight after we're done recording. <laughs> this sounds incredible.
0: It's one of those that if you watch it with friends and you grab a couple drinks, you're going to have a good time with it. There is just absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous. Has nothing to do with the games. Like if you're going to watch it, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you, but let me just say not great. Not great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely need to rewatch this movie. I haven't seen it since probably the theater 94. Um, I, I, I I love the games. I mean, who didn't love the games back then? I will say this property, I think, really could work if they were to reboot it nowadays. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, Like, actually yeah. make a thoughtful adaptation of what Double Dragon was. I, I could see, you know, you get a, you get a lot of that, uh, you know, retro thing going on, and I, I could see it, like, really working.
0: It was directed by a guy named James Yukich, who has done nothing but music videos and short films since then. Double Dragon 1994, that's my number four. I recommend it just because of how weird and ridiculous
1: it is. Alright, number three is the video game movie that started it all, 1993's Super Mario Brothers. Where are we? I got a feeling we're not in Brooklyn no more. They're brothers. They're plumbers. Oh no! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite. It's incredible. That gives anyone who possesses it the power to rule the universe. Get me the rock! Come and get it, lizard breath! from two directors, uh, Annabelle Jankel and Rocky Morton, who I believe were commercial directors, and I don't think they directed anything before or after this. I'm not sure. Uh, But I I was actually surprised to find out that this was the first video game movie ever made. But, you know, in retrospect, it kind of makes sense because they had absolutely no idea how to make a movie out of a video game, and it shows in every frame of this movie. Uh, This is one of the most so bad it's good movies ever to me i mean this ranks up there with like the rooms and all those kind of things everything about this movie is just an insane mess um you start with the casting of bob hoskins and and john leguizamo and they are just so ridiculous they're so out of place in in these roles and I, the, it's a lot of fun to watch them because they're just so silly, but Dennis Hopper as a human version of Bowser just <laughs> it doesn't even begin to make any kind of sense. Um, what what it seems like what they did with this is they took character names and things and like the, the titles of things from the first four Super Mario Brothers games... And then applied them to like some kind of script that maybe someone was working on that was like a knockoff of Blade Runner, but with dinosaurs mixed in. Oh yeah. And nothing really matches up whatsoever. The the idea of Goombas, which are you know the the most known enemy character in Super Mario, they completely messed up what a Goomba is. <laughs> um, you know the the Koopa kids are are I don't even know what they are like. It, it, it's so weird. Toad is like a a, a busker uh, on the street corner that that sings songs about Koopa. Um, th- there's so much weird stuff going on. And then add into that, it's like got this strange tone that kind of tries to balance somewhere between adult like spoof slapstick with like goofy kid humor, and like it's just all over the place and so insane. They go on this adventure into the Mushroom Kingdom, which is basically like another reality on top of our own world. And they, they try to get into this whole like science fiction aspect of it instead of just, you know, the kind of more fantastical element of the actual games. And none of it really makes any sense in any way. And then uh, we all get to, to an ending that just came, seems to get crazier and crazier as it goes. Roll credits. And then there's a post credit scene which I think may be one of the first ones ever. I'm not sure about that, but it's definitely as far back as I can remember that they've had a post credit scene uh, teasing more of this this universe, and uh, I would love to see that.
0: False (laughs) advertisement. Yeah, nothing yet.
1: I know. Maybe one of these days.
0: I would guess it's probably been since 93, since I've seen it. Isn't there a gun it, doesn't Bowser have some type of gun that changes people into lizards or monkeys or something?
1: Yes, he is like devolving them with like a devolver gun, <laughs> and some people turn into monkeys, some turn into lizards. I'm not quite sure you know which is which or how it works, and he of course, has been the opposite. He's been evolved with the the opposite of the gun um there there's a lot of boob jokes in it for a kid's movie. Uh, <laughs> uh i i would say Mario is kind of horny um which is uh kind of crazy, especially considering he's like fifty years old um there <laughs> there's just oh my God, there's so much in this um what other thing they are actually it's obviously not a sequel to this, and it's not live action, but they are next year making an animated super mario Brothers movie after all these years uh it's the the studio that makes the the minions. Um, oh yeah. Dreamworks. I, yeah, so I, I don't really know their stuff that well, but the fact that Nintendo has put af- after this debacle, that Nintendo has put trust in them to make a uh, a, a new Mario movie, it, it, they must really trust them.
0: Oh, you know, in the right hands, I think a Mario movie could be really great if you had somebody like maybe like a team of uh, Lord and Miller. Yeah. Overseeing it. Yeah. This movie was really bad. I mean, nothing says Italian. Like Bob Hoskins,
1: right? <laughs> he's had he's such a so weird great. career. He's also he's doing. I mean, obviously this was this was before, but he's doing like the same kind of character as Danny DeVito and It's Always Sunny, um, <laughs> which is. I mean, that just makes it even better. The fact that it's supposed to be Super Mario, like, and, and he's like that, like, is so funny.
0: Oh, that's a great choice, and uh, I'm glad that it came up on your list. Though that, that probably, you know, if I had done a little bit more research on this one, it, it probably could have been my honorable mentions. Nice. My number three is my most recent that has come out, and this is 2014's Need for Speed. They took everything from me. I did not fear for you are with me. All those who defied me shall be ashamed and disgraced. Those who wage war against me shall perish. I will find strength, find guidance, and I So Need for Speed is based on a video game series that is all about street racing, specifically illegal street racing, because uh, you're constantly trying to defeat your enemies and the police. So this game kind of adapts that loosely into a story about a mechanic slash street racer at night. And he is framed for a crime that he did not commit. So he spends a couple of years in prison. And when he gets out, he joins this race called the De Leon, which is like the top illegal street race. It's from coast to coast. And so he's his one goal is to win the De Leon. Winning it is going to prove a bit harder because the man who framed him puts a bounty on his head. So he's got to race other cars. He's got to evade these assassins and then he's also got to uh stay a step ahead of the law so the reason that it's on this list well there's two reasons number one awesome cast aaron paul who plays jesse in breaking bad like i love aaron paul I'll watch anything aaron paul is in imogen poots next to him basically the whole race uh yeah. his teammates we've got rami Malik, oscar winning rami Malik in there uh kid cuddy is his eyes in the sky And then we've got Dominic Cooper playing the bad guy, who's great. And then, of course, you need a voice kind of narrating this race. The De Leon is narrated by one Michael Keaton. Wow. And then the other reason I really like this film is because you can't have a need for speed movie without really great car chases. And they do not disappoint with the car chases. Most of the car racing is done practically. So you have really great looking cars getting smashed up. And it's all, like, I won't say it's all done practically, but there's minimal CGI. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a Mustang in there. I own a Mustang, so I'm, like, partial to the car. And just seeing this white Mustang with blue stripes all over the place is great. The stunt work was so good that it won Best Vehicle Work at the 2015 World Stunt Awards. The story is really, really dumb. But the movie is a ton of fun. Need for Speed 2014. If I had to rank these by, like, my my absolute favorite video game movie need for speed is probably my favorite one even though it's not going to be number 1 on my list just because mm. of reasons I'll get to but yeah this is this is probably my favorite one need for speed
1: Interesting. I, I have not seen it. Like I said, um, I do love Aaron Paul and I love a lot of the other cast and Aaron Paul. He is not, uh, you know, Hollywood has not given him too many opportunities post Breaking Bad. Uh, I'd like to see more out of him for sure. But I remember this movie getting trashed when it came out and I, I kind of <laughs> want to see it. I mean, the way you're speaking of it, um, I, I want to give it a chance now.
0: You know, if you're a fan of car chases, I love a great car chase. And essentially, this is a really long car chase. And that's why I love it. It's a little bit long. Uh, it's like two hours and 10 minutes or something like that, which easily could have been knocked down to an hour and a half. But
1: yeah, that's I really
0: love necessary. the car chases. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a little long. No video game movie needs to be two hours. <laughs>
0: no. All right. Number two.
1: All right. So now we're getting into the two that I actually genuinely love um, from this list. Uh, not just so bad. It's good. Uh, But they both are very silly, kind of dumb. So starting that out, uh, number two from last year is Sonic the Hedgehog.
0: Gotta go fast.
1: 20 minutes ago. An energy surge knocked out power across the entire Pacific Northwest. This needs someone who can figure out exactly what we're
0: dealing with. You're not suggesting who I think you're suggesting. We have no choice. What the...
1: Are you in charge here?
0: Yes, I am. Nope! My wrong. I'm in charge. Allow me to clarify. (laughs) In a sequentially ranked hierarchy based on a level of critical importance, the disparity between us is too vast to quantify. Agent Stone... The doctor thinks you're basic. Listen, pal, I don't know if you realize... I'm sorry, Major. What was your name? Nobody cares!
1: From director Jeff Fowler, Ben Schwartz plays a CGI Sonic in the real world. Jim Carrey is Dr. Robotnik. James Marsden is the straight man to all of Sonic's wackiness. Uh, But it is Jim Carrey who absolutely steals the show here, and it's the reason why I love this movie so much. Jim Carrey has had plenty... Of of great roles here and there through over the years, but nothing really since the 90s that has connected in the way that this Dr. Robotnik performance does. Um, every time he is on screen in this movie, I was dying laughing. He's so freaking funny in this, and it really just brings you back to just how amazing that string of hits he had around like 93 and 94 were where it was Mm -hmm. like i think like five movies in a row that were all just absolute comedy classics i think he's just as funny in this um sonic is fun too uh and and i should say you know i i've mentioned earlier that i was a nintendo guy i do not really like the sonic character and i don't like the sonic games that much but I I am totally a fan of this movie. I can't believe they pulled this thing off so well. Uh like I said, it's very silly, very goofy. It is a kids' movie for sure. Clearly it was successful because they already have like fast tracked the sequel, which is coming out next year already. Um I, I hope I hope that means Jim Carrey's coming back because there's a great teaser at the end you know a lot of people complained well that's another story a lot of people complained when the first trailer for sonic came out about what sonic looked like and that was our first taste of the internet uh you know telling studios how to change what it is they do and that's that's kind of strange but that's another conversation maybe for another time (laughs) but um aside from that like little oddity you know, the other thing was Jim Carrey not looking like Dr. Robotnik, as as funny as he is and as great as he is in this. But by the end of the movie, he's starting his transformation. So I can't wait to see what he's going to be like in the sequel. Uh, but like I said, he's so funny here and Sonic himself is a lot of fun. There's a lot of good gags. He drives James Marsden nuts through this whole thing. And Ben Schwartz is funny, you know, uh, parks and rec and all the other stuff that he's from. Uh, he, He does a great job, like just being just a totally annoying animated character within a real world setting. And, that's that's Sonic for you, you know? Sonic is kind of the annoying counterpart to Mario, and uh, so it makes sense to me that they'd go that direction with the character.
0: I've been looking forward to seeing this. It just feels weird not seeing it with my son, and he's too young to watch it at this point, so I'm, like, waiting Mm -hmm. until he gets old enough, and then we'll
1: watch it together, I think. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's a fun kids' movie, and then, you know, for the adults, you got that flash of classic Jim Carrey.
0: I've actually seen on list this is most of the time this is ranked number 1. I think out of all video game movies it probably has the top score on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: It should. It definitely should.
0: <laughs> well, let me tell you about a movie here at my number 2 that does not have a good Rotten Tomatoes score. <laughs> I'm going to save the movie that I think is an, is actually a good movie for my number 1 and we're going to go with one here that I think people need to watch just to understand or try to understand, because I don't think you'll ever understand how this made it on screen. And that's 2005's Alone in the Dark.
1: I learned the truth a long time ago. Being afraid of the dark is what keeps most of us alive.
0: I can't believe it. It's happening again. What's going on, Carnby? That's what I'm trying to figure out here. Some gateways should never be opened. Hello? Hello?
1: Some fears should never be seen. I don't think we're supposed to be here. And some terrors can never be stopped.
0: Based on a series of games that I didn't even know existed until. Uh, I think it was the fourth one that came out on the Xbox 360. The cool thing about it was it had these really interesting fire physics. Things would catch on fire, and fire was essentially the only way that you could dispatch bad guys. So you could like throw a Molotov cocktail and shoot it in midair to blow fire over everybody. And it had some really cool concepts, but as a game, not great. And of course, Uwe Boll decided that he wanted to turn this video game into a movie. Uwe Boll, by the way, has made a bunch of video games into really, really bad movies. Oh, yeah. Like Far Cry, Blood Rain. There's probably a postal. There's probably more. But this is like his crowning achievement in cinematic crap. And it stars Christian Slater, Tara Reid, and Steven Dorff. Oh, boy. <laughs> the, the plot summary, you have Christian Slater. He's playing this dude named Edward Carnby. Unemployed, he's a supernatural detective who specializes in the occult, but somehow can afford, like, a 4,000-square-foot loft in the middle of New York City, which is among the most confusing things in this movie, which is saying a lot. And <laughs> he goes to stop a scientist who is researching this ancient Mayan civilization called the Abkhani and this scientist somehow opens a portal using their artifacts. And now we know, as moviegoers, when you open a portal, it's never good. Like, cupcakes never fall out. No. It's always something bad. And in this case, it's a demonic creature that comes through. That's what they're dealing with. The creature has really cool powers. Like, he has these these tentacles that can impale you. He can also turn... It, it, it can turn itself invisible, although it never does it when it should. And... We've got Tara Reed here as Edward's ex-girlfriend, as a totally believable museum curator, and then of course we have Steven Dorff playing a secret government agent that Carnby, for the organization that Carnby used to work for. Bull rewrote the whole script. It was written as a thriller. He wanted to get more action in there. He says the game is like, like a sequel to Alone in the Dark 4, but it's totally not. Like it, it just has no elements from Alone in the Dark 4. It also has a... This thing had a budget of $20 million, and you see absolutely none of that money on screen.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's a ton of CGI, and it's laughably bad. Like, PlayStation 2 level bad. And it's not just on... Like, when you think CGI, you're probably thinking... It's the monsters that are CGI, but the blood is also CGI. And not just blood that's spraying out of people, but pools of blood on the ground. The movie has no type of logic to it. For example, in the very first scene, the monster comes through the portal. It kills a ship full of armed guards. And then when it comes after Christian Slater, it can't get through an unlocked door because Christian Slater has his hand on it.
1: (laughs) It sounds very, uh, it sounds very Evil Dead influenced, uh, but possibly not good though. <laughs> I would,
0: I would wager a guess that Uwe Boll has never seen Evil Dead. <laughs> I, I would wager a guess that he's never seen a
1: movie before.
0: So <laughs> that's, that's also a good guess. Uh, at one point, like zombies pop up. It's, it is insane, and the reason I think that people should watch this film is because there's a battle in Carnby's apartment that quite possibly is one of the, the worst action scenes ever made in a film. I do not want you to go watch the entirety of Alone in the Dark, but I do think you should go to YouTube and just check out The Apartment Battle because it is something to behold. There are wild camera angles. None of it makes sense. And it looks like it's straight out of a video game, but in this case, it's not supposed to. alone in the dark from 2005 you need to watch it just to see how bad a movie can get and before you look it up on rotten tomatoes it is one percent on rotten tomatoes one percent probably from a reviewer paid by uve
1: bowl it's got to hold some kind of record like one of the lowest ratings that, that has ever happened on that site but uh uh, yeah, I I need to at least see that that scene. I hope you'll put a link in the show notes for that because that that sounds like something to be seen for sure.
0: Oh my gosh! On to your number one movies based on video games. David Rosen, what do you got at the top?
1: Number one, and I know I'm not the only person who loves this movie, but it was absolutely trashed by critics, and uh, I don't think it did very well at the box office. And it's a very very dumb movie i i will say that right from the get-go but i loved it and it is my number one it is 2018's rampage it's weird you like hang out with animals more than people
0: yeah well animals get me i rescued george when he was two years old
1: george never would have survived on his own
0: he definitely trusts you Last night, George was seven
1: feet and weighed 500 pounds. George, you okay, buddy? You're scared. It's okay.
0: This morning, he's nine feet pushing a 1,000.
1: What's happening to my friend? Are you familiar with genetic editing? It is basically a vehicle for The Rock. But really, it is a movie that makes the excuse for a giant ape, a giant werewolf, and a giant lizard to destroy shit and fight in broad daylight. And here's the thing. Uh, I love monster movies, but the vast, vast majority of them, uh, especially the ones that people consider to be the best ones have so little monster action in them because of various reasons, whether it's like, oh, the monsters are just a metaphor or, oh, you know, it's humans and technology and blah, blah, blah. But what you really want to see is monsters blowing shit up. And that's what this movie actually delivers. It's one of the only monster movies that truly, truly delivers that. The effects look great. The These, uh, you know, especially George, the the giant ape, he is... Fantastic. Uh the rock is pretty fun in it. And, you know, he I could kind of take or leave him. He's fun in some movies. In other movies, he's very I, I would consider him to be like kind of the most mainstreamish, you know, star that we have right now as far as especially action movies are concerned. But oh, he's definitely having yeah and but he's definitely having a lot of fun here and his whole rapport with george is really great they've got a lot of good jokes back and forth and all that there's also the rest of the cast that's having a lot of fun uh joe Manganiello is totally ridiculous and it jeffrey dean morgan knows exactly what kind of movie he is in at this moment and is just <laughs> totally eating scenery every chance he gets uh and then you've got As funny as all those people can be, the actual comic relief is Malin Ackerman and uh, Jake Lacey, and the two of them are kind of the bad guys in a way. Um, Well, there's a bunch of bad guys, including the monsters themselves, but uh, they're kind of like the most villainous of of the characters, and they, they make for the most laughs too because they're so inept and so completely ridiculous. It's a movie that clearly gets that video game movies are bad. Like, intrinsically like (laughs) they kind of (laughs) can't be good and just runs with that and and has fun with it and goes for it basically and when you come down to trying to adapt a video game um you know just i don't know whose idea it was to adapt rampage a completely storyless arcade game where you're just three monsters bashing up buildings and that's all it is from the 1980s but they're a genius because clearly they wanted to see monsters fight in broad daylight and they got it. And so that that's, that's what this movie is. And that's why I love it. And I will defend it forever because it's just totally ridiculous and so much fun.
0: Well, you kind of sold me on it. I haven't seen rampage, but I do like the rock. I I like the rock in disaster style movies like skyscraper. So maybe I should give this a, a check.
1: Oh yeah, and I didn't mention that. The director, Brad Payton, uh, he did uh, San Andreas. He did, I think, three other rock movies. So some, some of his bigger movies. This one just didn't quite hit as big, though.
0: My number one is based on a series of games that I have loved since the PlayStation 3. And I think that more people need to know about this. It's called Like a Dragon from 2007, based on the Yakuza video game series. Wow, nice
1: uh, left field pick here.
0: Well, I'm a big fan. Well, I, it's tough to say I'm a big fan. I am a fan, though, of Takashi Mike. Takashi Miike has done films like uh, Ichi the Killer. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was the 13 Assassins? He's done a few video game adaptations, but this one is what I would objectively call, like of all the movies that I've seen, it has the best story and is probably the best, even though I like Need for Speed more because just the ridiculousness of it. This I would say is the best. It doesn't adapt any stories from the game, but there are the characters in there and uh, the character of... Kiryu, who I've been playing in the Yakuza Zero game. He okay. looks just like him. It was He pulled it off so well. The story is you have this Yakuza underling Kiryu. He's recently been released from prison after a lengthy incarceration, and he's trying to kind of piece his life back together and just get away from his past as a Yakuza member. But along the way, he encounters this girl. She's trying to find her lost mother. And unfortunately, his former associate, this dude wields a baseball bat, he's got an eye patch, he's psychotic. His name is Bejima Goro, played by uh, Kishitani Goro, and he has a grudge to settle with Kiryu. So tons of fights occur. There's also a bank robbery aspect to it. So it takes place at this tower called, I think it's called the Millennium Tower. The police show up as this bank robbery is happening, and the Yakuza's money has all been stolen, and it's being stolen all over the, like, from every bank in the city. So there's this cool bank robbery aspect to it. The robbers, by the way, have this like really funny back and forth for some comedy. But when you watch a Yakuza movie, you're really watching for the fight scenes. The action in this is actually pretty awesome and it definitely feels like the Yakuza fight scenes and it feels like the Yakuza video game just on screen form. Mike was like the perfect person to do this type of lower budget crime film and I legitimately think it's the best video game adaptation out there. It's called Like a Dragon from 2007. I'm pretty sure that you can watch the whole thing on YouTube, but there are discs available. Miike also did uh, an adaptation of that Ace Attorney video game.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that they made a movie out of that. That's interesting. Um, And yeah, I didn't know about this either. So yeah, that sounds like something worth checking out. And it sounds like... Unlike a lot of the other movies on this list, it sounds like a movie from someone who is actually a fan of the game. <laughs> and so it would like get the intricacies of it.
0: Exactly. The it's over the top, just like the games are the character. looks just like the main character. And there are some, you know, some of the side stories taken and some of the dialogue is feels like it was taken directly from one of the games. So when I say, I don't think the story had much to do with the game. I could be wrong. But I haven't played like all I think there's something like eight games in the series and I haven't played them all yet. So I could be wrong. Great list. What are some of those honorable mentions that you wish could have made your list but didn't?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, you know, like I said, Street Fighter would be on there. I'd also probably include the first Resident Evil. It was okay, Uh, maybe just below the top five there. It's not great. And it certainly made way for some of the worst movies of all time with the sequels. (laughs) Uh, but then I would also definitely give a shout out to the Tomb Raider movies, both the Angelina Jolie ones and the Alicia Vikander one, um, which is getting a sequel, I think next year, uh, they're, they're both fun in their own ways. And while well, I would say probably my number six would be the Alicia Vikander one w- would probably make it to my six on my list. Uh, and then not exactly an honorable mention, but a lookout for, Uh, I'm really looking forward to Uncharted, which I think will probably be a disaster, but I can't wait to see it anyway.
0: I really didn't have any honorable mentions. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about the show and then tell us more about your music.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, Piecing It Together is a movie podcast where, like you said, we we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies might have inspired it. So me and a guest, we will take that first new release as a jumping off point and get into a list of other movies that people should check out and uh, explore the different themes and the things that we think uh, make them similar in some way. And so it's a, a fun, unique take on a movie podcast. And uh, we've been doing it for four years now. We just started year four. Uh, just wow. Congratulations. So. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love doing it. And uh, yeah, I I am looking forward to all these new movies we get to piece together. And then as far as my music's concerned, I uh, compose music for film and commercials and TV. And I also release albums of instrumental music. I should also add, we brought up Tara Reid earlier. I, uh, I composed music for a Tara Reid movie a few years ago nice. uh, called Bus Party to Hell. It's an absolutely ridiculous like <laughs> B-movie horror blood and boobs and guts and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's on demand in various places. Uh, but yeah, kind of genre. I, I, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it, but my albums are all instrumental music. They kind of blend uh, alternative and electronica and uh, various different styles that I am experimenting with at the time. And uh, my sixth album came out in October. It's just self-titled called David Rosen. And I'm currently working at the same time on two separate new albums that each have a different theme to them. And one of those will be out later this year.
0: Nice. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. It was a challenging topic. And I was very surprised that we did not match up on any of our picks. That was awesome.
1: I am very surprised about that as well. But that that's the way these lists uh, work out sometimes. And I'm uh, I'm glad about that. And uh, I thank you for... for joining me in indulging this awful idea for a list. Oh, I wouldn't
0: say it was awful. We still got a lot out of it. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. If you want to be a guest on the Force 5 podcast, the only requirement is that you love movies and want to talk about them. If you have a top five list that you want the internet to discuss, Head to the website force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and other Force 5-related content. Make sure to go and rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow the Force 5 Podcast on Instagram and Twitter so you can tell me which picks we missed. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some video game films. Or don't.